Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 24th of March, 2014, T-minus one week to opening day, and this is episode 70. My name is Jake English, and here in the Fred Manfred chair is Scott Magnus. Now you can find us at you can also find us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find many other fine Baltimore sports programs. You can find us on iTunes, as well as on various other places that Scott likes to make up, such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist. Creamsicle, Ice Cream Sandwich. But seriously, go to iTunes and rate us. We haven't done that recently. Go to iTunes. Give us whatever star you want. Do that now. Apparently, we're, we're running out of the, the people that are trapped in their mother's basements and or prison to rate our show. Now, if you want to reach out and touch us virtually, electronically, you can do that with social media. It's still legal. You can find us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View B-A-L, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash B-E-V-Cast. You can find us on Google Plus, both people that are still yeah. using that. Um, but Do we have a MySpace account? No. Oh, see. No. We need Pinterest. That's what we need. Ooh, we Pinterest. need to be able to pin things. No. Honestly, if we were on Pinterest, our wives would actually pay attention to this podcast. That's still unlikely. Yeah. All right. Before we get down to the really important things, we'd like to remind you that there is a there's a link on the side of our, our webpage. It is a Amazon banner. So you can just click on that image. It'll send you right to Amazon.com. Anything you purchase there, we get pennies. Every time you do that, yep. and it's really helpful to help us keep the lights on here. We like pennies here. We're penny pinchers. We we really are. Yeah, that's why we're Orioles fans. We're penny pinchers. And with that, Scotty, it's our favorite time of the week. It's time for the drink of the week. Let's have it. What are you drinking? Jake, I am drinking a beer called the Dirty Little Freak from Dew Club Brewing. It is a brown ale with a hint of chocolate and a hint of coconut. I'm not sure why you would destroy any beer or any product, frankly, with coconut, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. Jake, you realize this tastes just like the Girl Scout cookies, right? Yeah. Coconut doesn't do it for me. Okay. Well, what can I say? I like the taste of Girl Scouts. Okay. I myself am thinking warm thoughts, Scott. I'm okay. in a baseball mode. I'm thinking Great. about summer. Okay. I close my eyes. I see a warm day, a gentle breeze. Maybe I'm at the beach. I'm drinking Corona. Wow. That was like you were doing a product placement in terms of Corona. Um, way to drink a swill beer from Chicago. Thanks. Appreciate yeah. that. All right. Um, well, with that taken care of, last week we did a couple of recipes for the drunk Gary Thorne. We'll probably get back to that. Uh, next week is going to be busy since it's opening day. So two weeks from now, we'll get back to the drunk Gary Thorne. 
Yeah, I think that we'll actually go out on opening day and get some recommendations from uh, some of uh, the birdosphere about what our drunk Gary Thorne could be. You mean the people we find uh, staggering on the street? Pretty much, yes. Okay, I like it. All right, let's move on then to, uh, let's do the medical wing. All right, uh, so the big news in the medical wing this week was that Manny Machado was cleared for all activities by the doctor, but he will be starting on the DL per Buckshow Walter. That puts him on the DL as of March 23rd. Um, if the Orioles wanted to, they could start him out in that date and uh, retroactively apply it. Um, so sounds like a good move on the Orioles' part just to be patient. Um, I, I, you know, you look at when he his surgery was, and it was right around mid-October. This falls right in the line of the four to six months. If he's back by mid-April, early May, no big deal. Big deal, so what? Who cares? Yeah, and we've talked about it before. We think we can withstand losing him for that long. We think. We hope we don't go 0-21 or something like that. If he does, you know, we'll just have to rush him back and, you know, ruin his career. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Um, Michael Almanzar requested an MRI in his uh, left knee after some swelling after playing first base um, last Saturday. That was the game that he was playing against the Toronto Blue Jays that, you know, he couldn't throw home fast enough. So um, there's a possibility that he starts the season on the DL. DL. Um, but Buck has come out and said this is not a way for him to stash him away or anything like that. This is just, you know— taking care and doing due diligence whether it is or not uh there's been some um well the, the O's media has started to suspect that they're starting to work out a deal with the red sox to be able to keep Almanzar because it's unlikely to, that he'll crack the 25 man rotation so or the 25 man uh, yeah. it might be a 25 man rotation by the time buck's done with it <laughs> but i don't think that this is a roster move i think it's a legit health issue and again you know you're coming back to the aspect of it's not like they can put him on the dl and just say up oh, he's done for the entire season he has to play a certain amount of games. This comes back to the whole Ryan Flaherty aspect where, you know, Ryan Flaherty was playing and they said, oh, he finally reached like 160 games. Now he can actually be part of this team because we're going to keep him around. But you do have to play a certain amount of games in order to be a member of this team. All right. Speaking of the 25-man rotation, who else do we have on the medical wing? Um, not so much on the 25-man rotation, but on the 40-man. Francisco Perguero, um has a nagging wrist injury. He's also going to start on the season on the DL. So all I can say to that is Norfolk, stand up. As best you can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, other aspects, not so much on the 25-man roster, but coming back to the 40-man roster, Johan Santana and Dylan Bundy were both continuing the rehab. Johan's been doing half-mound work, and Bundy's been doing a lot of flat-mound work. Um, apparently, they're developed somewhat of a competitive thing when they've been doing these dual uh, uh workout programs so it's interesting that you know you've got johan almost i'm not so much sure i would say in mentoring but it's interesting to see someone that has experience and has, has multiple saw youngs basically saying all right let's see what you can do kid i mean i think that's pretty cool yeah here's here's hoping um i'm gonna go back to the 25 meditation chris Tillman was scratched from friday's start due to illness um, you know, he'll, he's going to pitch this Wednesday. That'll put him on five days rest going into Monday. Um, but apparently there's been a bug going around the clubhouse. Nick Markakis has been uh, sick as well. Uh, you know, we kind of looked into this in further depth and, you know, the only thing we could find out, you know, that could be causing this was some of those strip mall donut shops that, uh, the Baltimoreans were talking about in their spring training episode. Well, I, th- I think you've actually missed a key possibility. Okay. The sneaky tiki. Oh, the sneaky tiki. Yeah, someone's been having too many uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch shots. It's very possible. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, Scott, I think it's time to turn to the twat. All right. Let's go to this week on the Twitter. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins on this first one because I don't trust your treatment of it. What are you talking about? I want to talk a little bit about March Sadness. Okay. The NCAA tournament is, uh, is going on. You may have heard about it. 
<clears throat> I was somewhat excited because uh, my alma mater, American University, uh, won its conference. It's, you know, piddly uh, mid-major conference and got a bid to the tournament. I was excited until I watched their game. Woof. Yikes. Has anybody been beaten worse than American in this tournament? Yes. Okay. So I feel slightly less bad. Yes. They lost by 40 to uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, there, there were some other spankings that were going on. Um, but that was one of the worst ones. It was like watching a uh, a JV team for the School for the Blind play uh, the Miami Heat. Yeah, it was uh, it was ugly. I, I, will, I will say that much. Um, but moving on to good news, it's good for America when Duke loses. Is it not? Yes, it is. Um, we have a tweet here from at OBP Apparel. Um, speaking of which, you should go to OBP Apparel and buy all their awesome shirts because, man, there are some good ones. Definitely pick up the Adam Jones uh, Blowing the Bubble shirt. It's a great thing. That's what I'll be wearing to opening day. But at OBP Apparel says, when Duke loses, food tastes better, the air is fresher, the sun is brighter, and the world is just right. Hashtag one and done. I couldn't have said it better myself. It was it was perfect. Go Mercer Bears. I don't even care anymore. Bring on baseball season. Yeah. Speaking of bringing on baseball season, uh, there was a great tweet that had a picture associated with it. This was, um, it, it was a, retweeted by uh, Olivia Witherite, and she it, works for Masson. She's she, the Masson social communicator. She does indeed. Um, but the original tweet was by uh, Courtney Lofgren. Yep. Um, and it says, "There's a man washing the jumbotron at Oreo Park at Camden Yards." I would not want his job. And literally, it's it's a picture of a man in like a wetsuit or, or rain suit or whatever. It's a, it's a Tyvek suit. Hanging. Just to be specific, it's a Tyvek suit. Thank you. No problem. He's hanging from... I can tell you really get out a lot. Some sort of rope. Literally, like, like window washing yeah. the, the big screen. That job does suck, but it only means that the season is right around the corner. They're literally, they're washing every inch of Camden Yards, getting it ready for us to enjoy on March 31st. It's getting exciting. Um, speaking about getting excited, Orioles superfan Romeo um, was giving us constant updates from spring training and at Ed Smith Stadium, which prompted him to post, um, and he posts from at Romeo Baltimore. He says, according to Foursquare, I am the mayor of Ed Smith Stadium. Hashtag Birdland at Orioles. That seems unlikely to me. I don't, I don't know much about politics, but I, I don't think that uh, you can have a mayor of a stadium. Uh, incorrect. If uh, you put a hat on that's an orange helmet and it has a feather coming out of it, you're instantly the mayor of a stadium. Really? Yeah. Have they tried this in the Crimea? Um, you should see Putin's hat. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Speaking of hats, man, we are like Segway champions yeah. during this thing. Um, can we talk about Chapman's horrible injury? Uh, I believe you have my stapler. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the tweet, which is basically a, a retweet of the Instagram picture, but Aroldis Chapman's post-op picture is awful. It's basically a row of staples across his head from the top. It's uh, pretty uh, unsettling, needless to say. This is the beauty of social media, by the yeah. way. This is, this is everything that's right and wrong all rolled into one of Twitter. Yeah, if you can make me unsettled, you've uh, succeeded. And lastly, this week on the Twitters, we, we just wanted to to give you a slight window into Chipper Jones and his retirement. This is our old man update, basically. Basically telling modern players or, or today's players to get off his lawn. Yeah. 
you didn't know how good we had it back in the day, and look what you're turning down now. So at Chipper Jones, who posts from at Real CJ10, says, so let me get this straight. Max Scherzer turned down six years and $144 million. Boris works for you, Max, not the other way around. Hashtag, don't be greedy. Yeah, I don't really know how to take that. I know Chipper has been really vocal ever since retirement, but I feel like that's got just a, a teeny bit of bitter. Yeah, it, it's just a teeny bit of bitter. Um, it was actually interesting because if you actually went into that conversation that he was having with fans too, um, someone said, well, what if Scherzer doesn't want to play for the Tigers anymore? Jones came back and said, then he should be asked to be traded. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll keep an eye on on his Twitter feed because I, I feel like that could be fun. Yeah, it fun is a a, a good way to put it. So, um, you know, it it was an interesting week on the Twitter, but today things blew up, dude. Twitter was insane this morning. Twitter blew up this this morning. So we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about what caused Twitter to explode. We'll be right back. All right, so the Orioles traded uh, infielder Alexi, uh, Alex Gonzalez, not Alexi. I wish it was Alexi Garcia. <laughs> um, but they traded Alex Gonzalez for infielder Steve Lombardozzi. Dude, Lombard, Lombardozzi. He's a utility infielder. Lombardozzi. 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 All right, we've learned something important here. Yeah, don't put two Zs in your last name. <laughs> All right. So the news hit the interwebs early this morning. Twitter went insane, and speculation ran rampant. Yep. Don, Dan Connolly was the one that broke this story, and uh, within seconds, Dan Connolly was trending in Detroit. Really? I'm not joking with you about this. Dan Connolly was trending in Detroit. If there's anywhere in the world you want to not trend? Yeah. It's Detroit. Yes, I'm, I'm very much aware of this. So everybody wanted to know, could could Lombardozzi be in the mix to start at second base? What does this mean for Jonathan Scope? What does this mean for Jameel Weeks? And, and what is it, Jameel Weeks? And what does this mean for your Floridian slip, Alexi Casilla? Um, good questions, I guess. Um, but let's let's go into who Steve truly is before we go any further. So Steve Lombardozzi. Nice. Well yeah. done. Is uh, from Fulton, Maryland. Um, he has a career uh, average of 264, 297 on base percentage, and a 342 slugging in three seasons. Um, he used to play for the uh, Washington Nationals. It's funny because when, when he was traded away, mm-hmm. Alex Gonzalez, I thought to myself, well, you know, we'll probably get a bag of balls back or player to be named later, or, or maybe international signing slot or something like go. that. And uh, and then a few minutes later, I heard that it was uh, Steve Lombardozzi, and I was like, wait a minute, I know that name. Where do I know that name? Yeah. I blame the Red Porch Report for this. He was a, he was a, f- a former Washington National. He actually got uh, packaged up in that deal that brought Doug Fister to Washington and then was traded back away. He's got to feel awesome about himself. I, I just If you look at that Doug Fister trade, though, it just boggles the mind how he uh, alex gonzalez is one portion of the doug fister trade that just boggles my mind 
Just yeah. I have no idea what to make of that. I also have no idea what to make of Steve Lombardozzi. I, you know, I looked at his stats a little bit. Nothing earth-shattering, to say the least. Um, but when you look at what's left on this club outside of Ryan Flaherty, who will probably be pay- playing third base come opening day, mm-hmm. could Lombardozzi start at second base? No. Okay, so you think that Jonathan Scope and or Jamile Weeks would get the nod ahead of this guy? I think Jonathan Scope gets second base. Okay. That being the case, does Lombardozzi have a spot on the 25-man roster? Absolutely. I mean, you go back and you take a look at it. Um, Lombardozzi fills that utility infielder that we thought, you know, you know, Ryan Flaherty was going to fill or Alexi Casilla was going to fill. And uh, needless to say, Casilla being injured for the majority of spring training. And Casilla... And, and being Alexi Casilla. Yeah, and, you know, basically calling out Richie Vancells and basically saying, you know, he wouldn't let me play. I think uh, Alexi Casilla has pretty much written his ship off. And, you know, I think the Orioles said, you know, if we can go out there and get a 25-year-old player who still has an option left and trade him for Alex, uh, Alex Gonzalez and say, hey, you're a non-roster invite and we're actually going to get something back for you. I mean, I think that's a major coup for the Orioles front office, regardless of whether he is the utility player on this team or even if he goes and plays second base for no for, for a portion of the season. Yeah, I think this was definitely a, a depth move and it was to bring a guy into the organization, but it's a steal. I mean, even at that low... Uh, expectation of him that's much higher than i had for alex gonzalez yeah, yeah i'm I, i'm not sure about from from a long-term standpoint i agree with you from an immediate aspect alex gonzalez probably would have been the better option but from a long-term aspect lauren Dozzi actually has a higher upside than alex gonzalez has when machado was going to come back there was no way alex gonzalez was going to stay on this team it was going to be the aspect of you're going to play until april and then we're just going to dump you and you're going to have to find a team so I'm actually kind of glad the Orioles are able to get something for him and also allow Alex Gonzalez the chance to go to another team and actually be a contributing aspect. I mean, you look at the Tigers. The Tigers are looking at Omar Vizquel, who is their first base coach, right. to play shortstop. And 900 years old. Yeah, I mean, that's just unbelievable. I've seen Lombardozzi uh, referred to as a poor man's Ben Zobrist because he can play a number of positions in the infield. He can also play the corner outfield positions. Um, Isn't that like Ryan Flaherty, though? Yeah, yeah, but... It's nice to have a guy like that than a guy that's just a guy. You know, I mean, how many middle infielders did we bring in last year to spring training? How many middle infielders did we bring in this year? Yeah, and and we let them all go, you know, because they, they didn't bring any value to the organization. I think because this guy has major league experience, and, and he had one good season, kind of middling seasons after that, but... He has a certain level of success at the major league level. He can stick on a club at a reduced role. And I, I think that that brings real value to the club. One interesting thing that I saw, too, looking at his stats, not so much on the major league level, but on the minor league level for last year, his average was right around the same, but his on-base percentage was right around 370, which, again, Jeremiah Weeks was talked about strongly about, oh, he gets on base because look at his minor league average. If you have another player there that has the ability to get on base— and is able to translate that even partially into the major league level. If you have the choice of between Jamile or Lombardars, Lombardozzi. Good Lord, we're yeah. going to botch yeah, this. Lombard, Lombard, like the street. Lombard. Lombard, like the street. Lombard. Dozy. Dozy. Lombardozzi. Doesn't that, like, that should have like two D's in it then. It's too many letters to start with. It is. 
Have you seen his name on the back of his jersey? It stretches from like his belt all the way around to the other side. Funny you should mention that it's the second longest name on the Orioles in the past like 20 years. That is a fact I did not need. Yeah. So Lumbon Darcy. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Can I just call him Steve? Yeah. Who gave you that idea? Was it Steve? No. Yeah. This is going to be like the incarnation of of uh, Gary Thorne. We're, we're just going to maul it every time we try to say it. Lombardozzi. Yes. Nice. Yes. Steve. 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 So like Steve um, can play second base, shortstop, third base, left field, and right field. I just still see him as the Ryan Flaherty. But again, you get the option between him and Jamile. Um, whether one of them can contribute and be that on-base player is going to be interesting. I think the only thing that distinguishes Jamile from Steve is... Jamal has much more speed on the base pass. It doesn't look like Lombardozzi actually has that speed on the base pass. That That's great, but speed doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you're slowly walking back to the dugout after not getting on base. Uh, I understand. I, like I said, I don't think this is a big move. I don't understand why the internet blew up about this. I think this is just the aspect of, I think it would blow up to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got a, something back for Alex Gonzalez. Here, yeah, I, I think this is this is what it was. It was, we were expecting absolutely nothing, and it came back, and we're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 I've heard of that guy. That That's literally, and the excitement was, oh my God, we actually got a guy. Hey, I know that guy. Right. But it's also the fact that we don't really have a second baseman. You know, I I can see. Jonathan Scope disagrees with you. I'm sure he does. Ryan Flaherty disagrees with you. Yeah, Ryan Flaherty's busy for the first couple of weeks of the season. Okay, that's fine. Then Jonathan Scope disagrees with you. I can see a situation in which Lombardozzi or Jamile Weeks gets the job at second instead so that Jonathan Scope can continue to develop in the, in the minor league level. I I can absolutely see that happening. Okay. I come back to the aspect of if you look at Lombardozzi's numbers, it is just absolutely quadruple A player. Why would you do that? Give Scope the chance. He's demonstrated the ability throughout spring. If he comes up and doesn't do great, what's the point on sending him down to the minor league? Let him have his chance. You saw that article on Baltimore Sports Report where they broke down the pitching that he's faced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. I read Zach's article. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's the thing. <laughs> you can only ask so much of Jonathan Scope. All he can do is do what he can with the opportunities he's given. And I get that, right? He's done everything he's been asked. But at the same time, let's not pretend that he's a world beater. I'm not saying he's, he's, I'm he's, not saying he's a world beater. He's beating quadruple A players. I, I, I totally agree with you. But give him the opportunity. How much worse can he be than a quadruple A player that had a negative 0.5 war last year? My question is, though, how much better can he be with a little more seasoning? We're waiting. If you need him to have a little bit more seasoning, then send him down midway through April or into May when Machado comes back. No. It's not like he's going to get stunted or anything like that. It's just going to be like, all right, this is what we saw in the major leagues. This is what we want you to work on. If you get it together, you can come back up. But until then, best of luck, kid. I can see a situation in which Jamile Weeks or Lombardozzi is handed the keys to second base. God, until, I hope not. Until Did you see Jamile Weeks so far in the spring training? Oh, oh. Well, with that, as excited as we both sound uh, for Lombardozzi, we, you know, we may have something, we may have nothing. But Scott, I do know one thing. March 31st, we will be playing the Boston Red Sox. You and I will be in attendance. And I'm somewhat curious to see how that game will go down. Well, they're going to win, of course. But I'd be interested to figure out what has changed in the past year between us and the Boston Red Sox. Maybe we should uh, take a quick break and uh, come back and discuss that with an expert. Do we know any experts? Well, we try to claim that we know experts, but... We, we'll do our best. All right, let, let's invite an expert and hope he'll talk to him.
American League East has long been baseball's best division. 2014 should prove no different, as four of its team, well, excluding the Blue Jays, appear to be a legitimate playoff contenders. With that in mind, we're looking forward to taking on one of those American League East rivals in this season's opening series at Canyon Yards. And to set up that series, we've asked one of our experts to come on to uh, talk about the Boston Red Sox. Bird's Eye View is one of the many great baseball podcasts on BaseballTalkRadio.com. The network has a ton of great shows, one of which is Red Sox Alley, a Boston Red Sox podcast which has been around since 2005. We've said our fair share of bad things about Boston and the Red Sox in this program, but it's important to remember that there's passionate baseball fans anywhere, and uh, there's, these are just our kind of people that like to talk baseball, sit down, and have a, a good conversation about it. So uh, we'd like to uh, welcome Red Sox Alley to the program, and uh, thanks for uh, coming on tonight. Pleasure. Thanks for the invite. So, I like the intro music. Well, thank you. Yeah, we try to represent Boston a little bit. From, we decided to not go with the Sweet Caroline route or anything like that. Just uh, I don't blame you. I don't blame yeah, you. Try to go something a little bit more old school. And, uh, you know, Boston's a beautiful city and everything like that. But let's get into the Red Sox and let's start talking some baseball. So Red Sox in 2013, you know, moderately successful season, I think, all things considering. Moderately. Yeah, moderately. Um so, uh, you know, first of all, congratulations to you guys. You guys had a great season. Um, things just seemed to come together perfectly last season. And um, you really represented the city very well. And, um, heck, you brought home another championship, uh, the third one in, what, nine years? Yeah, third in nine years. Um, and um, so we're looking at 2014. Um, you definitely have had some key losses and some key additions. How do you see the Red Sox looking this year? Well, you know, there there are some question marks that could be good or bad. Of course, it's never good when you lose your your uh, your center fielder, who brings so much to the team in terms of you know the, the tools that 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 he brought to the table. I'm referring to, of course, Jacoby Ellsbury, um, and then you've got a youngster, Jackie Bradley Jr., who's who's supposedly going to step into his shoes, and then you've got a veteran who's coming off uh, uh, basically two years of almost inactivity. It's uh, Grady Sizemore, and uh, he's looking great, which is. Very unexpected at this time. Um, no one knew what what you know he looked like at this point. Um, so you know you've got uh, you know those that situation, and you've got you know of course a young youngster at shortstop who played third base in the in the post in a lot of the postseason last year and was a key part. So you know you still have some changes, and you know the question is, you know how are those changes going to fit in, and you know can can John Farrell piece this lineup together like he did last year so well and, and have the contributions that he had last year. You know, it, it's it's still a lot of question marks. You know, I, I've heard, um, you know, my, my co-host Corn has said I uh, can never have too much pitching and they don't look like they have enough starters. But, you know, conversely, they, they've got Brandon Workman for a full season now. And he, you know, was a key part of, uh, of, the, of the playoff run in World Series last year. And uh, so, you know, hopefully with John Lackey coming off an injury-free year, Clay Buckles is a is a question mark all the time. Why people think that with with his uh, health? So you know things have to come together, and and they did last year, obviously after some bumps in the road with the closer situation. But uh, you know it's still it's it's unpredictable, obviously with any team. Would you uh, would you say that the nucleus that the team does have left is really the core strength of the team at this point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Ortiz is signed for another year, two or three, depending on how things shake out. You, you know, you've got Pedroia. Um, you, you know, you you hopefully have uh, the shortstop for many years, Xander Bogarts. Will Mo- Will Motorbrooks at third base, the same thing, hopefully. Um, so, you know, you know, th- there are a lot of parts in there that look good. 
But, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where you have to wait and see. Now, we just covered the aspect for position players there, but I'd like to get back into pitching really quickly. You know, coming into 2013 with the Red Sox, there was a lot of question marks there in that pitching staff. You know, you guys threw Lester, Lackey, and Buckholtz out there, and you were like, well, let's see what happens. And, you know, you got great performances from that, but you also got great performances from like pitchers like Dubront as well. You know, it just seemed like that entire rotation kind of clicked, and then you guys kind of, you know, got lucky too with Koji in the back of the bullpen too. Um, I mean, the, the big question is, you know, are, are you kind of still expecting those same results? Looking at some of the projections that are on Pakoda and, um, you know, Zips and stuff like that, it looks like, you know, people are saying the Red Sox rotation is going to perform equally as well as they did last year. Well, that would be nice. I mean, I'm hoping that I'm actually hoping Dubrant improves. You know, you're basically swapping Jake Peavy for, for uh, Ryan Dempster. I think Peavy will have a better year than Dempster did last year. Although, you don't know, he didn't really contribute a lot after he came over from the White Sox. Um, I, I think Buckholz has got to prove that he can, he can pitch 190, 200 innings, which he has not been able to do. Although, you know, I've seen him pitch many, many games that I've gone to, and I go to just a couple of year, couple of year. I've seen him pitch probably four or five times in the past four years, and he pitches light. He seems to pitch lights out every time I see him. So he's got the talent. He's got he's got the stuff. The question is, can he stay healthy? You so, know? so what um, you're saying is, Red Sox fans need to give you more tickets when Buckholtz is pitching, basically. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the bullpen is strong. They they added Majika from uh, from St. Louis. He had 37 saves last year, so I think that takes the complete reliance off of Koji. A little bit, you know, given his age, um, you know, you still have Tazawa and um, Andrew Miller will hopefully pitch a full season. You know, left-hander was pitching great before he got injured. Um, so I think the bullpen is looking pretty good. And I hate saying that because, you know, the bullpen is usually the Achilles heel of any team. Well, I mean, um, you guys take a look at last year where you guys started and definitely Koji wasn't your starting closer. It was the aspect right. of you guys kind of. Uh, filtered out and figured out, you know, who your closer is going to be because you guys started with Hanrahan and basically said, well, he, he's not working out, so we're going to figure out who our closer is. And by the end of, I guess it was August and September, Koji was there. Um, the one question that we have, you know, since Koji actually pitched for Baltimore before was always his endurance and getting through a full season. If Koji is the closer for the Red Sox for the whole season, do you think that he's going to have the ability to have the endurance to get through an entire season as opposed to just kind of being pushed off in the second half like he was last year? Well, given his age, I think they're going to have to keep an eye on things. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question. And I think that's why Majika's there. Um, to take some of the load off, to pitch, you know, to probably pitch some, some late innings, you know, in seventh and eighth and, and close. So I think they're going to keep an eye on that. I mean, he's going to, he is or is going to be 39. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, there's no question they have to be thinking of that. Well, let me you ask. I never thought that he would have, been, you know, been the closer for, you know, the, you know, three plus months he was. And, you know, pitch as well as he did, you know, through those months since, since October. I mean, nobody would have figured that. Sure. L- let me ask you this. You guys added A.J. Przinski, um to replace uh, South Lamakia. What do you think uh, Przinski will bring both offensively and defensively um, well, to, to the Red Sox? Less, less of a free swinger than South Lamakia was. I think he's a little bit more, uh, well, obviously a, better, more, a little more veteran presence. Although South Lamakia is, is going to be, He's going to show well in, in Florida, I think. Um, the concern I have is his age. Uh, Pruszynski, I mean, he seems pretty durable, but he is, I think, 37. And Ross is right around 35, 36. So you've got two catchers around the same age. And I think it, you know they have to watch out for 
you know, an injury situation, because I think it very well could happen with one of them. And they got to look at one of their younger catchers, like Christian Vasquez, who I think is going to be a triple A this year. So I think, you know, the durability is kind of a, um, a concern at that position, given given the, the age of the two catchers. Do you have any concerns about the volatile personality? I, I have to tell you, I think that he would be a tough guy for me to root for if he came to Baltimore. Well, the word is that everybody hates him unless unless he's on their team and then they love him. <laughs> right. That's the kind of player he is. So, and that's that's what's coming out of spring training right now in, in Fort Myers, if you, if you believe it. And, you know, the comments that have been made so far have really been focusing on age. And one person that I want to bring up was John Lackey, who's turning 35 this year. Is there any concern about that, his age getting up there, too, with velocity dropping or, you know, how he's going to do through the whole season? Well, I mean, you know, coming off, coming off Tommy Jones, I think it was Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, the hope is that he's actually going to get a little stronger than he was last year because I think typically players that do have that, that type of uh, surgery – uh, there is kind of a precedent for for pitchers to to come back a little stronger. And I mean, 35, you know, um, at that age, if he if the velocity does go down a little bit, you know, the hope is that he can continue to learn and uh, learn how to you know pitch and and not just try to overpower batters. And I think he does that to a degree. He's got he's got a variety of pitches that he throws. So you know, I'm hoping, unlike um, you know, Josh Beckett with Boston, couldn't seem to do that. Uh, you know, kind of become more of a pitcher and more of a finesse pitcher than a power pitcher. So, yeah, the hope is that Lackey can do it. Let me uh, shift gears a little bit. You mentioned uh, Jacoby Ellsbury and kind of replacing him in that lineup. I think that that um, not pursuing him for that particular contract and letting him go is probably the right way to go uh, for the Red Sox. And in the short term, you know, that may hurt. But the contract that the Yankees locked themselves into with that particular player, with his profile, particularly when it comes to health, is something that would concern me as a Yankees fan. Do you think um, it's possible that you guys got out of the Jacoby Ellsbury uh, market at the right time in his career? I, I think it's possible because the Red Sox have a track record of not overpaying, you know, not giving out the, the long-term deals unless it's a younger player at, at a quote-unquote discount like Pedroia, like they did with Pedroia, you know. Um, and Ellsbury wasn't going to put up with that. That, that wasn't going to be his his – his way, it, it wasn't Jonathan Papelbon's way. He's out as soon as that, that's year number six is done. He's out. He went to the Phillies. Um, would he have better, been better off with the Red Sox? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but but I do think you know the Red Sox you know looked at what they what they were going to have to spend with Jacoby Ellsbury and and decided that that they would go elsewhere. They had a young center fielder who hopefully would pick up the slack, and um, you know they were willing to take that chance. Speaking of the Yankees, what do you think about their particular offseason as far as how they seem to have reloaded a little bit in free agency? Well, they did. And, and you know, the other, you know, in terms of, um, you know, who they acquired, they got Beltran. Um, and, but, you know, you look at it, their depth chart is kind of funny because you've got like five guys who are listed under four different positions and they're all uh, 37 and over except for Teixeira, who's 34. So, um, and you know, I, I forgot, I didn't forget, but you know, you think they, they did acquire Alfonso Soriano late in the season from the Cubs. So, you know, you've got, uh, let's say five guys, you know, who are over in Asia who are 37 or over. And how are they going to piece together a lineup where, you know, in your outfield, you, you probably have Beltran playing right field and you have Ichiro available and you have Soriano available and all these guys are penciled in at DH. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's going to be a you know kind of 
funny to see Joe Girardi manage that and see if injuries play a part at some point. Well, I mean, he, Joe Girardi kind of did that all last year, too, is, you know, managing that whole injury train and, you know, dealing with individuals that were 35 and plus, and especially this year on the Derek Jeter retirement train, which uh, I don't know. I'm going to get get pretty tired of that pretty quickly, but that's just me. Um It'll be interesting to see how much magic Girardi can pull out. I mean, in, in all honesty, it looked like the Yankees overachieved last season. And, you know, you even had uh, Cashman come out and said, we overachieved last year. We had to go out there and spend more money this year so that we didn't overachieve. We're going to go out there and win because we've got the players out there to win. But I come back to, like you have said, age is a big deal. And uh, it certainly seems like the Yankees are not getting younger. They just seem to be getting older and older. Doesn't well, no, it- age is age a big deal, but who do you have – that are the double A, triple A right. level that can step in, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's a, that's a big question for, for, and it's not unusual to have that question. And the answer would be, I'm not sure. Yeah. You Doesn't know? it seem though, that against all odds, the Yankees always seem to at least be in the conversation with whatever, you know, washed up lineup or, or aged question mark veterans they bring in. It, it always seems like if any team is going to be able to put it together and, and you make a season out of it, it'll be them. Oh, Absolutely. Don't forget, though, you know, they did lose Robinson Cano in Seattle and no more Mariano. And and so there's, you know, that automatic save, you know, if you, you know I always thought of Red Sox, if they're not ahead, ahead by the eighth inning, forget it, you know. And now you've got Dave Robertson who's going who's gonna, to, you know, take that position with the Yankees. And it's not – I don't think it's going to be an automatic like, like it was with Mariano. It's easy for me to say. And, you know, who knows? Robertson could, could um, come through with a great season. But there's just not that fear to me anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's in the game's really in a game. Yeah, it was really a shame to see him go. Um, now, as as far as what we do here at Bird's Eye View, our listeners are probably treated to a fair amount of homerism. We we try our best to to put uh, our opinions you know aside and 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 to kind of call it straight down the line. But I think any any podcaster that talks about their team is going to be victim to that. So part of the reason, Rob, that we've asked you to, to come and, and spend some time with us is we'd like to get an outside opinion uh, from Red Sox Nation. And how exactly uh, do Red Sox fans feel about the 2014 Baltimore Orioles? Are they a team that's a threat in the AL East, or are they just an also-ran in a division that has juggernauts like the Yankees and the Red Sox? I would say neither, and the reason is because I think most Red Sox fans recognize that the American League East is a very, very tough division. And, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the, the core core players on the Red Sox. Well, I've thought for a long time that the Orioles have a good core of players, and they're getting, you know, more along in their, in their careers, a lot of them. Um, you know, you've got, you know, obviously, I, I, can, I can run down the names that you guys all know. you got Manny Machado. You know, Chris Davis, Adam Jones, Nick Markakis, Matt Weeders. I mean, you, there's a good core of young players there, and they're still young. Um, and then, you know, add that you've got, you know, the, the, pretty much the de facto architect of the 2004 Red Sox as your general manager. Um, and, you know, you've added Ubaldo Jimenez. You, you've got um, Gonzalez. You've got, you know, a young pitcher in uh, uh, Gausman. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've thought that the Orioles, you know, for a couple of years have had, had good players. And then you point out in kind of your notes, you know, they're, they're winning record against the Red Sox. Not that that's the end all, but, you know, kind of that, to me, that's an indication. They're far from pushovers. But, again, I think Red Sox fans recognize the American League East being a tough division. And I don't think you can necessarily 
even right off the you know even right off the Blue Jays. I mean, they've got Burley, they've got Jose Reyes, they 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 they've got good players as well. They just happen to be the ones that were chosen to fall off the map last year. Yeah. You know, so um, you know, I don't think the Red Sox fans uh, think anything in particular about the Orioles. They recognize they they've got a good they've got a good uh, core group of players. Well, I tell you what, going back to your thoughts on the Blue Jays, I think that even if the Blue Jays aren't projected really to win that division, I think they can also make it difficult for one or more of the teams. You know, if you if you have a losing record or even just a 500 record against, you know, the Blue Jays that are supposed to have, um, you know, be in the basement of the American League East, that can affect where you end up in the standings as uh, when you rank up against the other teams in the East. So, you know, not to say that they'll play spoiler, but you can't necessarily say, oh, that's a given series when we go to Toronto. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you, I don't think you can take any team for granted. And of course, you know, the Rays are always good. They're always good. I, you know, and when, when the Rays and the Red Sox hooked up in the division series, my two co-hosts said, oh, their pitching is great. The Rays are going to be tough. The Rays are going to be tough. I was kind of the only one that said, eh, I don't know. You know, the Red Sox you know, dispatched them, and I think it was uh, four games. <laughs> but But the reality is that that you know, put us putting aside the four game series last year, they're always good, you know, and so that's what makes this division so tough. That it could be anybody, and it could be it could be the Orioles this year. Very, you know, I mean, very easily could could be the Orioles in a division, you know, winning at, um, you know, winning uh, a playoff spot uh, very easily. Yeah, I mean, you look at Tampa Bay. You look at you want to talk core. You've got Will Myers there, and you got Evan Longoria there. I mean, that's two solid position players that really can anchor that team. Mm-hmm. And again, Tampa Bay is notorious for you know having that pitching prices on the trading block this offseason, but they didn't move him. But even having players like Archer on the, in that rotation, who really is a fourth uh, pitcher in that rotation, just exemplifies the aspect of how deep that rotation is, and also the exemplification of how important a farm system is. Um, going forward for any club, no question, no question. And you know, and you can pile up the draft picks, but you got to draft smart. You know, right? And you got to develop those pick people after uh, after you drafted them, which has been a uh, big issue for the Orioles over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Jake, you want to say so something? Ask you guys. Um, so I never liked Buck Showalter, but I have to respect the job he, you know he's done on the field for you guys. Um, going forward, I'm sure yeah, you must feel good about, you know, the direction of, uh, of the team as far as, you know, his leadership, um, you know, and his ability to really manage a game well. Yeah, I mean, I guess my comment would be whenever I hear Buck talk baseball, I feel like I'm learning something. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, some of the comments that he makes um, during the fan forums and stuff like that, you feel like just going on and putting a uniform on yourself and just kind of running through a wall for him. He's just got right. that kind of motivation that. I haven't seen from a manager um, probably since Davey Johnson when we had him in 97. Um, we really haven't had a really good success with uh, managers. Um, when you have like managers like Lee Mazzilli and Dave Tremblay, uh, it kind of puts a sour taste in your mouth. Um, right. I, I think that's why you know managers that like Boston and New York have had really give you a greater appreciation for how important having a quality manager and a baseball manager is um, on a day in a day out basis. And the other right. thing to, to uh, keep in mind, having success you know, with a good manager really started with Frank Kona. Before that, it was, it was kind of slim for the Red Sox too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that we, we do as Orioles fans kind of forget that the Red Sox have been, you know, where we are to a certain degree. Um, you know, the, the Orioles have really been doormats for so long. I mean, it was 14 years of losing seasons before 2012. Um, but, you know, the Red Sox have also had their dark periods. Um, it hasn't just been, you know, 2004 plus for their entire uh, season. I, I think 
when it comes to Buck Showalter, it's important to remember that we just had the dregs of talent on the field, of talent in the front office, of talent in the dugout as far as the manager. And mm-hmm. Buck Showalter came in and instantly changed the culture of the entire organization. And that's so easy to say, but it, it really happened. And the thing is, when he came in, he didn't just talk the talk. Being a Baltimore Oriole was important to Buck Showalter. And he had this kind of throwback um uh, relationship with Johnny Oates, a former manager of the Orioles, and really tried to bring back a lot of things that, you know, were, were, whoa, were, were far gone, uh, by the time, you know, we had been through, you know, year 12, 13, 14. And it was such a breath of fresh air. And by the way, the winning also came back. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to feel good about Buck Showalter when you're in Baltimore. You, you also mentioned Dan Duquette. Duquette did the same thing. I mean, he orchestrated, you know, the the dumpster diving, as we all called it, right before 2012. And then, oh, it worked. You know, he built up all this credibility with Orioles fans and then, you know, nearly wasted it as, uh, you know, in 2014, after our 2013 season was so uh, disappointing after he stood pat. We didn't see any moves. We didn't see any moves and nothing happened. And the, the natives started to get restless. And then all of a sudden there was a flurry of activity and suddenly Dan Duquette's in, back in the good graces of Baltimore fans. So uh, it's all about perspective. Um, let me ask you th- this one question. Um, you know, the, the Yankees and the Red Sox enjoy a historic rivalry that is just un, unparalleled in sports, if you ask me. Um, and, but one thing that I will note of the last couple of years as I think the Orioles have had a lot of high-profile games against the Red Sox. Uh, there was that famous 2011 season-ending game um, that really kind of put a fire under people uh, to feel good about 2012. Uh, 2012 had a crazy 17-inning game where uh, Chris Davis uh, closed out the game and won. <laughs> Do any of these uh, you know, high-pressure, high-profile games move the needle uh, with Red Sox fans about the Orioles at all, or is it just kind of more noise until you get to the Yankee Red Sox series? Um, yeah, I don't know if it, if it moves the needle, but I, I, I guess I said before, I, I think the Red Sox fans, they don't, they don't view the Orioles as pushovers. Uh, the, game, the game that you're talking about at the end of the season, that was a tough pill to swallow, but you know, once you win the World Series, I think you kind of forget about all that stuff. You know? uh, and you know, it was the same thing when the Red Sox won in 04. They kind of forgot that... Um, that you know, Tim Wakefield gave up a home run um, to, to the Yankees' um, uh, second baseman, I forget his name, uh, that propelled the Yankees to the World Series. You know, in 2003, Red Sox fans, after you win it in 2004, you kind of forget about that. So I think, you know, the, you know memories are kind of funny. You know, how, how, you, know, how, how um, you know, a big win one year can erase a terrible memory of the previous year. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. You know, you can have one bad year and then have one really good year. And it's the aspect of, you know, having that trophy and that championship pretty much rings eternal. So um, one other thing I just wanted to touch base on with, for 2013 was there, there's one statistic that was really interesting to me for the Red Sox season. And that was batting average for balls in play. And the Red Sox had, you know, historically high average. It was a uh, 329 over the entire season. And Historically, you know, most teams average right around 290 to 310. And, you know, the Red Sox really stood out from pretty much every single team. They were the number one team with batting average for balls in play. You know, is that skill or is that luck for the team? Is this team specifically designed to be that way or is it just everyone seemed to get lucky at the same time? Well, I, I think it, it's mostly that, you know, they, they've got this, this method 
of uh, seeing as many pitches, well, maybe not as many as I can, but to see a lot of pitches and they're patient. And, you know, and that's what drives people crazy when they get together with the Yankees. The games are four hours, three and a half hours because, you know, they're just not swinging, swinging at the first pitch. They're waiting. And, um, you know, I think, I think they show a lot of patience at the plate overall. And, you know, with that high batting average with balls in play and they scored the most runs of any team. So I think that formula seems to have worked. I think it is a formula. I don't think it's kind of, I don't think it's as much of luck. Um, but, you know, you've got several guys on the team that are very high um, on base percentage, like Daniel Nava and Pedroia. And I think that's why they get a lot of guys on base. They're patient and they get driven in. And I think that's, you, you can't plan to hit 329, you know, uh, as far as balls in play, but you can sure try to be patient at the plate and, and make the pitcher pitcher that you're the space that you're facing work. And I think that's what they do. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your thoughts, uh, and for giving us your expertise on the Red Sox. It, it would be nice if I could say something like "We wish you the best this season," but frankly, it's just not true. And I will tell you that um, I don't want to see the Orioles win seventy games this year. I'd rather see them have a good season. Yeah, I uh, I, I wish and, for you guys you know, a risk, solid risk third of, place. What's that? I wish for you guys a solid third place appearance. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'd rather see the Orioles not not you know have a seventy win season, but that way I'd rather see them do well. Uh, I'm that I'm I'm like that. I don't like seeing teams just you know do do poorly year after year after year. I think it's bad for baseball and bad for the fans. You know, Pittsburgh's another example. You know, they made the playoffs last year, and you know, I, I just I just don't don't enjoy seeing teams and fans suffer like that. Amen. Well, uh, Red Sox Alley can be heard at BaseballTalkRadio.com as well as RedSoxAlley.com. Um, please make sure you go and check out this show when the Orioles are about to play the Red Sox. You can be sure to get great uh, scouting, uh, a look behind enemy lines, if you will. Rob, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Appreciate the invite. Have a great evening. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We, we'd like to point out who had a good week for the Orioles, who had not such a good week for the Orioles, and who makes us embarrassed to be Orioles fans over the last week. As is our custom, I'm going to go ahead and go first because I like to have Scott have the last word. Frankly, when he gets to the ugly, his rants are far superior to my own. And so for my good this week, I'm going to start and I'm going to do Dan Duquette. Now, I'm not going to pretend that the Steve Lombardozzi trade was huge, but it does show that Dan Duquette is still trying to improve this club, and that as much as we make fun of his dumpster diving ways, he can still pull a rabbit out of his hat and better the club, even in the small ways. It's not bad, but again, it's not so much a good, it's just kind of neutral. It's like Austria. Dude, it's spring training. What good do you want from me? Well, I'm going to go with Getting through six innings, Abado Jimenez and Miguel Gonzalez both got through six innings in spring training, which I find to be a monumental accomplishment since that was a big issue last year to start the season. So kudos to Abado Jimenez and Miguel Gonzalez. I think a few other pitchers actually could have done it as well, but again, they were under pitch count. So uh, that's a good sign of things to come, hopefully. 
Sure, hope it isn't such a big deal as the season continues. All right, for my bad this week, I've got to say Wei Yin Chen was bad this week. On March 19th, he got absolutely knocked around, and in three and two-thirds innings pitched, he, he, he gave up 10 hits and six earned runs, including two dingers, and that was just not fun to watch. Yeah, he got he got shellacked pretty good. Um, nothing really confusing to the hitters up there. Hopefully he was working on something, but um, it did not look very um, nice. He was working on my nerves. Yeah. You, you know what's been working on my nerves for the past few days? Ties in baseball. It's absolutely horrible to, you know, go through an entire game, listen to it, or watch it. And then, you know, the ninth inning rolls around, and it's like, okay, we're going to play a 10th, and then the 10th ends, and it's like, okay, that's it, guys. Tie baseball game. And it's like, really? Really? That That's the way we're going to end it, is on a tie? Baseball should never end on a tie. Even hockey knows better, because they have to do a shootout. So when hockey can get it right and baseball can't, sorry, I've got an issue with it. I wholeheartedly agree. I will co-sign every bit of that. I'm thinking home run derby in spring training. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. My ugly for this week, we've we've actually already touched on it, and I could say nothing else. My ugly for this week is the American University men's basketball program. That was so painful to watch. All right. My ugly for the week is going to go to conspiracy theories. And you're probably saying to yourself, what are you talking about, Scott? For those that don't listen to our sister wives on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, there was a conspiracy theory thrown out on the Section 336 podcast regarding opening day tickets and how the Orioles perhaps were selling tickets to Boston fans in order to make some kind of profit. <sighs> boys, 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 boys. I love you with all of my heart. No, he does all of his heart. With all my heart and other parts of my body too. But really, are you that dumb? I mean, really? There's no way in the world the Orioles are going on StubHub and selling tickets to Boston Red Sox fans. It's just it's just idiotic and stupid. That's the kind of logic that I expect to hear on WNST, not on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You know, I hate these conspiracy theories where people are like, well, Manny, the only reason Manny's being held out being put on the DL is because they don't want to give him super two status through arbitration. They want to get an extra year out of him. So they're not going to bring him back because they want to get that extra year and not to pay him so much money. No, the Orioles are going to bring him back when he needs to come back. When the Orioles think he's okay, he's going to come back and play. People, enough with his conspiracy theories. Enough trying to say, oh, you know, there was a UFO or the plane, you know, hit the Pentagon, but it wasn't really the Pentagon, so they shot a missile. This is just ridiculous, people. Go with the logical. Stop trying to create theories and assumptions. You know, whatever makes the most amount of sense generally is the is what it is. Just cut it out with the conspiracy theories. They always piss me off. Uh, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. So are conspiracy theories on notice? Conspiracy theories, you're on notice. I'm going to um, get my gun out. I'm going to shoot you, and your head is going to go back into the left, Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there, and yeah. I'm just going to say that in a week, this won't matter. That's true. We will have real baseball to talk about, and we won't have to make up things. Thank God. Except for WNST, which will continually to make up things. All right. I think that we've probably said enough about conspiracy theories. So with that, Scott, it's time that we blow this save. All right. And Scott, I just wanted to say, I really enjoyed our conversation with Rob Goodwin tonight. I think that he had a lot of really good insight for the Red Sox, for the Orioles from an outside perspective. But I was more interested in how polite 
you were to that guy. Uh, I am heavily medicated tonight, and um, what can I say? Lithium really works well for me. You were—I I, was—I was a little worried because you're not generally nice to the Red Sox fans, but you—you you really bent over backwards to make sure that you—you uh, you were well behaved. Uh, you, this is a I, thumbs up to you, sir. I, it's, I have a New Year's resolution, and it's not to use the T word. We're going to leave it with that. Yes. So from here on out, the next time you hear our voice, it will be opening day. 2014, the Baltimore Orioles season will have begun. And so with that thought, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.